Hello again. Welcome back to Luxi, a podcast to reignite your wonder by exploring the science of luxury. Before we start today, just a reminder to check out our new website, erevnamedia.com, and we are also on LinkedIn now with Erevna Media. That's E-R-E-V-N-A media.com. So today we're going to talk about the bright and sunny colors of yellow and orange. And I love yellow. Really? Because I actually do not like yellow very much as a color, as you know. <laughs> I, I do. I like yellow as a color. I think uh, racing cars and yellow equipment, like lab equipment. Electrical engineers love like a yellow fluke meter or something like that. <laughs> like the tools we use generally tend to have bright colors. I don't know why. It's just never been... One of my favorite colors, but it, like the other colors we've talked about, does have some interesting history in terms of the pigments. I will uh, note that both of us found the website ColorLex extremely helpful. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, It's not only a catalog of a wide range of pigments, but it also features artwork using that pigment, which was really neat. Mm -hmm. It has timelines of the different pigments for a particular color. Overall, a very helpful resource. Yeah, color Lex, and color spelled the British way. <laughs> <laughs> should I start with early yellow? I guess we'll start with yellow if we're going in you know, rainbow order. You should go yellow first and then orange. Oh, yeah, good sounds Oh, wait, good. wait. Is it orange or orange? Oh, my goodness. How I do you no say idea. it? Orange. orange. I say orange. Okay. Most of my family says orange, but that might be a regional dialect. That's a regional dialect. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about early yellow. The earliest days of yellow included ochre. Yes. All of these colors. Uh, generally, the limonite, which is not a single mineral, but containing several iron-containing minerals like geothite, ac- acogenite, lepidocrosite, gerocyte, geothite, which is a iron oxide, hydroxide, mm. generated these yellow ochre looks. So iron oxides, which are stable at high temperatures, but are sensitive to acids, Mm. are part of some of the cave paintings. Very similar for orange. As you would imagine, if you're talking about yellow pigments, orange pigments are not that far off. So there is going to be some overlap, I think, in our discussion today. Yeah. And some examples of of that ochre um, and beautiful artwork includes the Raphael with the Sistine Madonna. Hmm. A beautiful piece of artwork, and I think the thing that people remember are the two sort of bored angels at the bottom. (laughs) They do look particularly bored (laughs) that you see like on a lot of t shirts and stuff. It may have been an album cover, too. So, gamboge is a natural resin, which is another early yellow Mm. uh, produced in trees in Southeast Asia. Main coloring components are beta gutilactons and and gambogic acid. These colorants are essentially just long chain organics. Yeah, there's lots of lots of benzene rings, lots of carbons, lots of hydrogens, lots of methyl groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those methyls. (laughs) The pigment is transparent and can be used not only in oil painting as a color, but as a glaze. Mm. Changes its color to orange in contact with alkalis. And not very light fast, compatible with alkaline pigments and even with lead white. And actually, compatibility is really important because yes. if you're a painter and you put this lovely color on your canvas and then all of a sudden you slap on another color and wherever they touch, you get some ugly brown or gray or black or something. That may not be what you were looking for. <laughs> no. um, 
Now, it's been used a lot from the 8th century in Japan and China, and then in European oil painting, it showed up a lot later. So uh, Rembrandt van Rijn mm-hmm. used it in, in the Sakia van Oberg as Flora. And beautiful so, image. Do you know what the name comes from? No. So it's a twist of Cambodge, which is the French word for Cambodia, which is where they originally thought that the resin was from. Oh, cool. I mean, it's, it's found in more countries than just Cambodia, but that's where the name comes from. Or piment is a yellow arsenic sulfide with a formula AS arsenic 2 and sulfur 3. Mm-hmm. So it occurs naturally as a mineral and can be prepared artificially. Our pigment's not stable and decomposes slowly in contact with water, but is stable when dry. Now, Paolo Veronese's Happy Union, so the mm-hmm. allegory of love. Again, the beautiful artworks and that um, that gold in there. Or pigment can also turn a little bit orange, so I, I have it in mind too, but when I was reading up about it, it's really prized for its really gold yellow, and it's, it has certain flecks in it that can make it very shiny, like iridescent kind of... Um, so the paint really glows. So yeah. or pigment was, was really popular. And I think artists really love that idea of uh, depicting the color gold yeah. in art. And if you even think about it, like Byzantine iconography, mm-hmm. lots of gold. You know, it's like the entire back, of, you know, all the backgrounds are gold. It's interesting though. So obviously, the arsenic based, because there's another arsenic based orange as well, and we're quite toxic. However, I did find one website where they went into detail about how. Today, as a modern painter, you can use something like orpiment safely. Don't mix it with copper. Use plastic spatulas. I don't use metal because you don't want to react with anything because when it reacts is when you start getting the arsenic out of the compound. And one of the things we were also talking about is if you wanted to be like looking how to preserve artwork for next generations, you need to know a little bit of chemistry. You need to know a lot of chemistry. Also understand what kind of uh, environment, what kind of humidity artwork should be at. Yeah. Um, I had never really appreciated that until I had done more of this research. So with modern yellows and toxicity that we talk about, one of the problems with modern pigments is is they're more toxic. Mm-hmm. So lead tin yellows were a very popular type of way to take lead and combine it with tin and then oxidize it. And so like PB2SNO4 is an example. And then antimony-based lead yeah. tins, uh, one of the most popular Naples yellow, Naples which yellow. to this day you can buy tubes of. Then is that turn- a darker yellow or like a lighter yellow? I, I, I'm not sure. Actually, we would have to go back to the site mm-hmm. to look at a swatch, but there are swatches for each of these on Colorlax. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't have the answer for you right now, though. Turner's yellow is a lighter yellow, however which is a lead chloride oxide. That yellow is, is definitely a, also a very popular yellow. And there's an interesting name naming uh, thing about Turner. Yeah. And then a chromium yellow, which also toxic, yes. has um, lead chromate in it. Yes, and, I will be talking about that as well, because yeah. it turns out chromium can do a wide range of colors. So the golden chairs in Edward Monet's Music in the Tuileries Gardens. Tuileries. Tuileries? Okay. Yeah, I know. It's a It's a... Weird word to say. Well, there, <laughs> there's some huge curtains that some of these people are wearing. It's not a curtain. It's their dress. <laughs> it's a dress. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I mean, it's, it looks like a rather voluminous amount of fabric. It, it's a lovely image. And the, and the chairs are examples. Of, oh, because it's a darker yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
It's a now, pretty painting. One of the things that you see is where um, some decay has occurred mm. in these paintings. And yeah. one of the neat, interesting things in this site is it shows how the, those artworks decay um, over the years. Yeah. There's an interesting story about another yellow that was super popular, wonderful color um, that was used for sunsets and sunrises and such, and that's Indian yellow. Mm. Now, Indian yellow, which was used throughout Europe from the 17th century, was thought to be made of the urine of cows, but not just any urine. These cows had to be fed only mango leaves mm. to get this color. Mm -hmm. It was considered cruel and unusual to feed cows mango leaves. Well, yeah, they would be very making, undernourished. Making them very sick. Yeah. It was very uh, curtailed. Mm -hmm. But apparently, and there was a really neat video of um, someone trying to make Indian yellow without the cow. And a lot of it involved sort of creating the acids and yeah. um, breaking down and boiling the mango, mango leaves in that and creating a beautiful color, actually. Yeah, it's interesting. So in the Victoria Finley book I talked about last time, she went on a, a pilgrimage to this part of India where purportedly this practice happened of the feeding the cows and the mango leaves. Because all that was based on this one letter from India to England, saying, this is how we make this color. Yeah. And so she went, and nobody in the village, none of the nobody had heard anything about it. I mean, there was a lot of mangoes there and a lot of cows. Yeah. And so she actually postulated that maybe it was a bit of a joke. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, by the Indians to their colonial government. Well, Rembrandt uses Indian yellow. There are not a lot of really great trackers to who used exactly what color. Yeah, but. yeah. So Letton yellow was a yellow for the day for Rembrandt Vermeer, mm -hmm. also known to have been used by Venetian artists like Giotto, Veronese, and Tinoretto. And the Dutch popularized the yellow um, in the 17th century as a bright yellow, good covering power and light fast but very toxic. <laughs> and the yellow was made, again, with using uh, just basically taking lead mm. and uh, making, you know, the Dutch process right. we talked about for white. Right. You know, sort of essentially you're adding more ingredients, mm -hmm. but, but again, creating this very toxic environment, sometimes with horse manure added on top of all of that to yes. bring that CO2. And yeah. Two. Yum. <laughs> so Turner's yellow uh, was uh, produced in a variety of shades from bright yellow to origin. Contrary to popular belief, it was not named after the artist James W. Turner, who was a, a prodigy of art in England mm -hmm. in, uh, in the 17 and 1800s. Color was first discovered and said by Swedish chemist Carl William Scheele. The yellow pigment was made by grinding together two parts lead and one part seawater into water. The mixture was allowed to stand for 24 hours, and then a caustic soda solution was poured off and the remaining white substance was heated until it reached the desired shade of yellow. I wonder if that's the same shield that did Shields Green. But what she'll talk about next that, time. That we will. Uh, yeah, so stay tuned. Yes, because <laughs> that was a very toxic pigment that uh, was put in everything. Well, the yellow pigment it was used a lot. It was durable and bright. And so as far as newer yellows that are a little better, mm -hmm. a zinc uh, zinc yellow, surprisingly. Uh, um, so zinc chromate. Again, yeah. we're here with chromium. Uh, pigment soluble and uh, in acids and alkalites, not very light fast. It was known that it would go from yellow to gray green due to the reduction of the chromite ion. Mm. The Sunday, and you're going to have to help me with the name of this one, Sunday afternoon on the island of Le Grand Jatte. Le Grand Jatte. Yeah, so uh, beautiful stuff. Ochre brown dots, however, uh, start to show up in this artwork if you see it live mm. in the grass. Mm. And that is just the decomposition of the zinc yellow. I, I don't think it really takes away that much from the <laughs> artwork, but it, it's not what the artist wanted. Lemon yellow is barium chromate, 
highly toxic, all chromates and dichromates being such. Example of it would be the boating on the Seine, Renoir. 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 Then we have an aerolite pigment, also known as Hansa Lemon Yellow. Mm. And if you go into an art supply stop, shop, you can also buy Hansa Lemon Yellow. Nice. With the appropriate advice as to <laughs> exactly how to, how to handle it. Yes. And what type of tools to use with it. It was commercially available in uh, 1925. It was used predominantly as a replacement for a toxic cadmium yellow <laughs> after 1950. One of the things I guess that artists can really benefit from, especially new young artists, is that it's not quite as dangerous a profession as it used to be. Hopefully. I mean, the idea is that you would have newer pigments that arise that are not, not made of these uh, very toxic elements. Yeah. And so that's all I have for yellow. That's a lot. Yellow has a lot. Orange didn't have quite as much. I think... Um, there'll be some repeating because, again, we talked about if you can get yellow, then you can usually find a way to make it a little bit darker to get to orange. Yes. Last year, I don't know if you remember, but last year we did a whole episode on on oranges as part of our holiday series. Mm, I remember that. Yeah. The it's traditions a, around it. Yeah. So if you're curious why we chose oranges, you should go listen to the episode. There's a very personal reason why I associate oranges with the Christmas season. And it was an interesting episode more about the fruit, mm-hmm. the science behind the fruit, which I thought was fascinating. So we see the color orange with light in the 585 to 620 nanometer spectrum. And I I will say, I always give the spectrums because back when I was in the lab, I used an instrument a lot called a flow cytometer, which measures the fluorescence at a single cell level. So we used antibodies to stain with, with fluorescent dyes to look at various markers on the cell surface or inside a cell. So you'd have something that would bind to the cell and had a little fluorescent, what we call fluorophore, a little marker. fluorescent compound at the other end of it. So it was sticky. So it'd stick on the surface and then you'd have the little fluorescent dye. And when you would excite these dyes with a laser, then you'd have an admission spectra of a, of a color yeah, that they would, would emit in response. And when you're designing the experiment, you want to be able to measure as many things as possible in the same experiment so you'd use dyes from all across the spectrum, but you had to make sure that their emission spectra didn't overlap too much, or you wouldn't be able to distinguish one thing from another. So I spent a lot of time looking at spectrum maps for fluorescent dyes, and I can see, sometimes see the dye, the antibody, when I look, when I, you say 585 to 620 nanometer, that would be a certain antibody that, and a certain fluorophore that would be used. But visually, you're not looking for that. That's being done with a, a no, but I'm saying like, I see the like catalog, like of like, oh, okay, it's going to be in this color range. That's this fluorophore that we used to call PE and it's tagged. It's a very bright one and it's tagged to this. You can get it to all these different antibodies and. So there's not like one general purpose color you'd, you'd want to have a catalog of colors don't want to mark just one thing. That's a waste of an experiment, right? So if you're going to go through the whole experiment and you have all your cells, you want to be able to see as much as possible. And also if you're going to differentiate between different types of immune cells, then you have to have several different markers to tell you exactly what type of immune cell you have. You would make a panel, we call a panel, it'd be five, six, seven, up to sometimes 10 different fluorophores, antibodies of different fluorophores that span the spectrum and you'd Run your experiment, and the instrument would differentiate between the spectra and would tell you what you had. Okay. Simply speaking. <laughs> Just a shout out to all my fellow immunologists here. People who use flow cytometers are very experienced in these nanometers and spectrums and what colors they are. 
in the U.S. and Europe, orange is mostly associated with amusement, warmth, energy, danger. We often see orange as a danger color. Taste, aroma, extroversion, anything unconventional, and anything fall-related. Especially in the U.S., orange is one of the colors for Halloween, and so you get that fall relation. When you look at a color wheel, the true complementary color for orange is azure, which is between blue and green, with yellow being for blue. But when you're painting, apparently blue is the complementary color to orange. Uh, Vincent van Gogh wrote to his brother very often, and he wrote about his paintings, and he uh, was said to say that the oppositions of blue and orange and red and green is where he's trying to make the colors intense and not a harmony of gray. So apparently using orange makes blue brighter, and blue makes orange brighter when you're painting, which is why you'll often see them next to each other in a painting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So the earliest orange pigment was likely orange ochre, which much like yellow ochre is uh, a clay with this uh, limonite present. Demos did the the kindness to me of trying to pronounce all the different mineral components of limonite, so I didn't have to. But it can be found in paintings as early as 20,000 BC. And we talked about ochre on previous podcasts because it does come in a wide range of colors. So one of the first non-ochre orange pigments is uh, realgar. Uh, That was popular in the Byzantine Empire. And it's another arsenic sulfide mineral, much like uh, orpiment, but the chemical compound is composition is different. It's AS4SF2 or S2. It's an interesting looking mineral. So it's brilliant red when you look at it. It forms regular crystals that look like red gemstones and is often called ruby arsenic, but it's very soft, so it can be ground into a powder. Orpiment's very soft, too. Okay. Yeah, it's like one to maybe two uh, yeah. on the Mohs scale. The pigment is not very light fast, and it can turn into orpiment when exposed to light. So it goes through chemical conversion. And it was the only pure orange pigment until the invention of modern dyes. And fun fact, Relgar was used by firework manufacturers to create white in fireworks before powdered metals were available. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like we said, since it's an arsenic compound, it's quite poisonous. And apparently the ancient Greeks knew it was poisonous. And then that knowledge got lost for a bit of time. And then once it was rediscovered how poisonous it was, it was then it was used less as a pigment and more for rat poison, insecticide, and a weed killer. Yeah. Poor rats. They always I get know. the bum deal. They really do. Demos mentioned orpiment. You can also have make orpiment into a yellowish orange pigment. Uh, like Relgar, it's soft and easy to grind into a powder and was also used as an insecticide and rat poison since it has that arsenic in it. So then we get to the more modern oranges. And as Demos said, chromium is used to make a lot of different colors. Extremely popular today. Yes. Yeah, even, yeah. So chemically, chrome orange is PB, which is lead, to chromium oxide. It's very light fast and darkens with age, and it's sensitive to acids, but more resistant to alkalis. And to make it, you treat a lead salt with an alkaline solution of chromate. And it's what's interesting is you can actually control the shade of the orange by controlling the pH of the solution you use to make it. Mm. So if you want a little bit more yellow, you want a little bit more red... Reddish orange. That does kind of neat. Okay. Yeah. Is it that the acid is reducing the chromate? Oh, I don't know. We'll have to look into that. If For all those people who want to find out how acid <laughs> works. Uh, we should do a little like mini con- 
podcast on pH because it's a really interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Crokite, which is uh, one of the minerals used to make chrome orange, was discovered in 1765 in the Ural Mountains, and it's a lead chromate mineral. The pigment itself was introduced around 1809, but uh, crokite is a brilliant reddish-orange four-sided crystal. It's very interesting looking, but it's too rare to be used commercially. So in 1797, Louis Vecquelin produced chromium oxide by mixing crokite with hydrochloric acid. That was after he had previously isolated the element chromium. Okay. So he was really into this whole chromium, chromate world. For the making of colors. I don't know if he was originally doing it for colors, actually. I think he was just a chemist that was messing Mm. around. He was the one that discovered that chromium compounds can form reds, yellows, oranges, and even greens. So I don't remember if you remember from our gemstone podcasts. Do you remember the two gemstones that chromium colors? See, emerald Yes, would be one. And I would imagine, not jade, uh, sapphire. Rubies. Rubies. Although it, it might color some of the sapphires, too. It's always a good guess because since there's so many colors of sapphire. So chromite ore deposits are in the Ural Mountains, and that led to the spread of chromium chemical factories to supply the paint industry around the turn of the 1800s. Today, one-third to one-half of the chromite ore produced is from South Africa, and there's also big deposits in Kazakhstan, India, and Turkey. So a good example of chrome orange can be found in Frederick Lighton's Flaming June, where a woman is napping on a sofa and her dress is all chrome orange. And this is from 1895. It's a really beautiful orange, really nice, warm, sunny color. And the same thing, the picture, the painting that you uh, referenced, Boning on the Seine or the Skiff by Renoir, um, the boats have chrome orange in them. So some of the the more modern pigments for orange um, have cadmium and antimony in them. Uh, Cadmium is interesting since it can come from a mineral known as greenockite, which forms hexagonal crystals that grow straight up. So if you think of like a hexagon, but like a tower of hexagon, these little orange crystals by reacting cadmium salt with sodium sulfide and sodium um, selenide. And the more selenium you add, the darker the orange. And you can still buy antimony orange and lead tin orange and some that that seem toxic. I guess you just have to be careful when working with them. You can still get Relgar. There's also some newer options out there that are inorganic and not quite as toxic. don't have a glossary this time because we don't have a ton of overly complicated scientific terminology in this episode. One that you brought up, which was very helpful, was uh, gamboge. Right, yeah, that's a name of a yellow pigment based on Cambodge, which is the French word for Cambodia, which is in the region where the, was it the resin? Is it a resin? Tree resin, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a tree resin. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, or from it's a good one. But I just remembered from the book on Cambodge is that it takes a long time to get the resin out of the tree. Oh, okay. So it's that. not like maple sap where you can come back the next day. Yeah. It takes a really long time, and then you have these the, you know, the, these tubes filled with the resin. Apparently, you can find gamboge from you know when the war was happening in Cambodia, the the Pol Pot, the whole Khmer Rouge, uh, okay. and some of it like sometimes has bullets in it, and it's it's not as nice of a color, like it's not as good of a pigment from the time when there was a lot of war and violence in the country. Okay, I just thought that was an interesting side 
story to okay. that particular caller. Well, something to read about. Uh, yeah. where, and where again would you find out about that? The history of that? Oh, it's the Victoria Finley book, Secrets of a Color Palette, something like that. Well, I know uh, Colorlex website has a link to that Victoria Finlay book. There you go. (laughs) Well, And we can put a link in our show notes. We can. I do have some fun facts, though. Okay. So what is another use for the pigment realgar? Uh, A rat poison. Yes. Okay. And what element is responsible for the colors of both rubies and emeralds in addition to being a orange pigment? Chromate. Chromium. Chromium, yes. Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of Luxi. As always, many thanks to my co-host and audio engineer, Demos. Our theme music is Harlequin Mood by Birdie. You can follow us all over social media at Pod. Definitely give us a follow as we will be posting pictures of the crystals and that form some of these pigments as well as the paintings that feature the pigment this week. Okay. And good. yeah, as always, please leave us a review. Uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts that helps us get noticed